Appreciate our presence. We're glad that uh, uh, Blakeland's friends are with us today from North Georgia. Lamore and Travis Reed. Am I right? Your last name? I thought so. My memory's not so good sometimes. You want to be sure to say hi to them, and we appreciate them being here with us. How many invitations do you believe maybe each of us have had over our lifetimes? We get invitations for certain things, don't we? Uh, particularly, I think ladies get a lot of invitations. They've got all kinds of parties going on and different things like that. But we'll get invitations to weddings, to parties, to study groups, to Bible classes. And we may even get invitations to participate in some form of work. I know that uh, when Martin and I were helping Clay do some things around the building, uh, Margaret was with with us here, and boy, you had to be on your toes with her around. You couldn't slack off or anything, because when she gave you an invitation to work, you actually had to do some work. And so uh, we had to, had to pay close attention to that. But those invitations represent some things that are very important in this life, but if uh, we didn't get an invitation to a party or to a wedding or to something like that, I don't know that... It might hurt our feelings a little bit, but I don't know that it would impact our lives to a, to a great uh, degree. But there are other invitations that we need to be concerned with. And those invitations, the most important ones, are those that uh, represent spiritual things in our lives. We need to be very uh, cognizant of those invitations. And when we look at the Bible as a whole, you know, it is full of invitations. It is full throughout it of invitations that God has continually extended to the people of this world. He wants God wants people to join Him in where He is going and in what He is doing. And that's a blessing, isn't it? It is certainly a blessing to consider that the God of heaven would invite a person as an individual to come and be a part of what He has going on. That is a blessing that is too great for words. It's hard to even explain something like that. Now, in the passage before us, Moses is speaking with a man named Hobab. Now, Hobab is just simply another name for Jethro. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and we know that from Judges 4.11. And Jethro, or Hobab, is usually, when we think about Moses' father-in-law, we think about the great advice he gave him. We first run into him in Exodus chapter 18 uh, uh, at any length, and uh, that's when he went to Moses and, and he asked Moses, he said, why are you doing the things that you're doing the way in which you're doing them? Well, what he was talking about was Moses was judging between the people. Every little thing that came up, they came to Moses and they inquired what God wanted them to do from the smallest of personal interaction to some of the greatest problems among the people. And Jethro told him, or Hobab, he said, you're going to wear yourself away. You need to get some help. And it was at that point that that Moses appointed some men over tens and hundreds, and they were able to help him with the more minor things that was going on among the nation of Israel. And so in his visitation, Hobab had been a blessing to Moses, and he received a blessing, and he received a blessing. And so they kind of needed each other, didn't they? And so 
the passage before us is prior to them leaving the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, some amazing things happened while they were camped there. We remember all those things. That's where they received the law of Moses. Moses went up on the mountain and he stayed for 40 days and, and angels, through the hand of angels, he received those uh, uh, commandments written on stone. And of course, we remember what happened, Exodus chapter 32. He came down and, and he and, and Joshua and they heard the hooping and the hollering and Joshua thought it was the sound of war. Moses said, not the sound of war. And so he went down and he caught the people engaged in all manner of sin and he threw those Ten Commandments down. And he broke them. And of course they were worshiping this golden calf. And if you remember, even Aaron, the brother of Moses, got caught up in that. And he lied. He said, hey, I threw the gold in. Out came his calf. And so Moses, in his wisdom, he ground that calf into dust and he made the folks drink it as punishment, as part of their punishment. Well, of course he had broken the tablets. Right back up on the mountain he went. He stayed another 40 days, and this time he had to chisel them out himself. But he did do that. And so he came down and he presented the law of God to the people. And Mount Sinai is the same place where they built the tabernacle for the first time. Mount Sinai is the place where they learned how to worship God properly because if God is going to be worshipped, He must be worshipped in the ways that He has set forth. You recall the, the lady, the Samaritan lady at the well? And Jesus told her that there's going to come a time when we won't worship God. You won't worship Him in your mountain over there because they weren't worshiping Him properly anyway. And we're not going to worship Him in Jerusalem. We're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you can worship God anywhere, can't you? And that's what the church is all about. Well, they received all those wonderful things. But it came time for them to leave that. It was time for them to head out toward that promised land that God had been promising Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, after all this time, more than 400 years in Egyptian bondage, they had left that bondage, and they were headed over to the land of Canaan. Now, it took them two years to get there. But they were headed in that direction. But before they left, Moses took the time to invite his father-in-law to accompany them on their journey. Well, now, within that invitation, we learn a lot about God's invitation to people who are alive today. Because we can make an application of Moses' invitation to Hobab to God's invitation to us today. That same invitation that has been offered to every single person who has ever lived. God has invited those during the patriarchal age. He has invited those during the Jewish age. And now He invites those during the Christian age. I want us to take a few moments this morning to better understand Moses' invitation to Hobab so we can apply that to our lives today, helping us to understand about God's invitation to us today. Now, there are some very necessary applications that must be made for those in the church and for those outside of the church. And we find it in this invitation that Moses extended to his father-in-law. There's an application that each of us can make in our lives today as we move into the future. Now the title of the sermon this morning is God's Invitation. 
And as we make the application that's necessary for us to make from the pages of the Bible, I want us to begin with God's invitation to join Him on His pilgrimage. That's our first point. To join Him on His pilgrimage. Moses used the words us and we. When we look at the passage before us, he wanted his father-in-law, join us. We want you to come be a part of us. We are God's people. See, he's talking about a very special people, isn't he? God separated Israel to be his people, and Moses invited his father-in-law to come be a part of that group. Come be a part of this special people as we go on this pilgrimage. See, the children of Israel were a special people because they were chosen. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Why did God choose them? Well, we don't know exactly for sure. We know it had something to do with their small number. He told them, I didn't choose you because you were great in number. You were this huge multitude, but because you were small in number. It had to have, it had, to have had to have something to do with the faithfulness of Abraham. Out of all those folks over in the Ur of the Chaldees, he was the one who worshipped the true God of heaven. And so he demonstrated himself to be one in whom God could depend. But not only were they a special people, they were also a redeemed people. That's what made them special, wasn't it? We see that in uh, Exodus 15, verse 13. Now, I think it is very important to know the same thing which redeemed them, redeemed us. Now, let's look into that. They were redeemed by the blood of a lamb, Exodus 12, 1 through 13. Each family, they had to sacrifice a lamb. They had to put the the blood on the, on the door facings and the top of the door, and that was the final plague that God punished Egypt with. Now, if you put the blood on the doorposts and above the door, the, the angel of death passed over and did not kill the firstborn. Now, how are we saved today? How are we a redeemed people? Well, any redeemed person who has ever lived, whether they lived in a patriarchal period of time with Adam, with Abraham, with Moses up until he was 80 years old, anyone who lived during the law of Moses period of time or the old covenant law during the last 40 years of the life of Moses through the kings of Israel and Judah and even those who lived in the past about 2,000 years who live under the Christian age, they have all been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, those folks back in Egypt, when they put that blood over the top of the door and on the doorpost, if they hadn't have taken the blood of a Lamb, the blood of the Lamb would not have redeemed them if they hadn't done that. But they did it. And so the blood of the Lamb redeemed them and it's the blood of the Lamb that redeems us today. Now, those special people then were ultimately redeemed by that same blood. When Christ died on the cross, His blood did not just flow forward to all of us today. It flowed backward all the way to Adam. We read about Abraham, and the, the writer of Hebrews talks about the righteousness of Abraham and how his righteousness was put on account for him. He was accounted for him as righteous. He, he didn't have his sins completely removed, but he followed the law God put forth 
under the patriarchal law, and he offered the necessary sacrifice. And so when Christ died on the cross, his righteousness then allowed him to have his sins washed away. And so when we look at the invitation that Moses extended to his father-in-law, see, that's the same invitation that we have today, really, because he wanted him to join a special people. He wanted him to join a redeemed people, and that's what Christians are today, special and redeemed. And it is that blood that makes that happen, Matthew 26, verse 28. When Christ shed His blood on the cross, it forgave all sin. And that's what the good news is for Adam and Eve and, and Moses and David and all those other faithful men under those laws and for Christians today. You see, each of us have been invited in, in a very similar way to what Hobab was. It's a very special invitation to be a very special people, to walk with a very special people, and we understand that invitation has to be extended. Now, there are a lot of different ways that people claim to have that invitation extended. But here's what the Bible says. We look in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, and we learn very quickly that Paul said we are all called by the gospel of Christ. It's not an individual call in the sense that God's going to speak to us individually. The time of miracles has passed, 1 Corinthians 13. But we are called through the gospel. And when we read the gospel or we hear the gospel and we learn the things God wants us to do, that explains to us how we become a very special and unique people, a redeemed people, in fact. Now here's one of the things that make this, makes this invitation so special. It's so special because a very few people will accept the invitation. Only a few will do it, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. You remember what he said? He said, the door is narrow and the way is straight, meaning restrictive. It's restrictive, but it's not so restrictive we can't walk on the path. But it is restrictive, and he said, few there be that go in thereat. Because the other way, the gate is broad and the path is wide. And that's where most people are going to go. And so it's a very special invitation. Now, it's not special in the sense that, that only a few are going to accept it because that's what God wants. That's not at all what God wants. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God would have all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. God's people are a special people. And that's proven because of the invitation for them to become a part of His people. Now I want us to notice in our passage again. God's special people were going to a special place. That's, what, that's where special people go, isn't it? They go to a special place. Moses invited his father-in-law to join them on their journey to a land God had promised to give them, Exodus 3.8. He promised it. You want to be my people? Do what I say. If you do what I say, I'll take you to a special place and it will be your inheritance. It was a land of great blessings. It was a land of great victory. It was a land that you had to overcome some obstacles, though, before you could get to it. 
They had to overcome some things in the desert. They had to overcome their unbelief after two years. It took them to get to the, to the borders of Canaan and they didn't want to go in because they feared the giants in the nation. They had to overcome that fear and it took another 38 years for that to happen. But they had to do that if they were going to accept this gift that God had offered them. Now we're not so different today than God's special people then. His people today are headed to a very special place. That's a very different place. It's not like the one that the, the Jews were going to. It's not a physical place. We're not going to inherit a spot on this earth because when we go over to Second Peter, Peter said this whole world's going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. The very, the very molecules and atoms, the elements, the very elements that, that make up what we have here and what we are here are going to go away. So it has to be a different place, right? Notice what Jesus said in John 14, beginning with verse 1. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. You notice he wasn't preparing a place here on this earth. Now, I like this earth. I like living here. God has blessed us with a beautiful place to live. But there's a place that's better. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you. See, he's going to prepare a place. He said, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, Jesus prepared a special place for a special people. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. And it's going to be a place where no one's ever going to suffer the afflictions and problems of this life again. Revelation 21, 4 and verse 27. I think it's very important to understand too, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, he wasn't a part of God's people. At this time, Hobab was not in a covenant relationship with God. He was a Gentile. So how in the world could he be a part of that covenant relationship? Well, God made provision for those people. He made a provision for people who would be a proselyte, those who would become a Jew. They would do everything that a, that a Jew uh, was required of a Jew, all the way down to being circumcised. But he also made a provision for what they called a stranger in the gate. I believe Cornelius was a stranger in the gate, Acts 10 and 11. He practiced the religion of the Jews, but he did not proselytize himself to be a Jew. But he was still faithful in the eyes of God. Not that Cornelius was, because that was during the time of the Christian age. But under the old law, the stranger in the gate was counted as righteous. They just couldn't participate in a lot of the ceremonial laws. They couldn't go into the tabernacle. They could not go into the temple once the temple was built, but they practiced the religion of God. And so that's what Hobab could have done. Now, I don't know what Hobab did. We're not told if he was a proselyte or, or if he was a stranger in the gate, but he had an invitation as someone who was alien to the commonwealth of Israel physically to come and be a part of that nation and be part of God's people. We have the same responsibility today. 
as Christians, we have a responsibility to reach out to those around us, to invite them to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel, spiritually speaking. We need to invite them to take part in God's pilgrimage as we travel to that great land He has promised us in eternity. When that happens, when one accepts that invitation, he becomes a part of God's pilgrimage and he becomes a part of the partnership that God has with his people. That's our second point. Hobab was offered the opportunity to be a part of God's family. That was a wonderful opportunity. It was a wonderful invitation. But that tells us a few things, right? Well, first, that tells us that that he wasn't an Israelite, but he had the opportunity to become a partaker in that covenant. And here's something else, and perhaps the most important thing. Hobab could have never been saved outside of that relationship. He had to have the correct relationship with God during that particular dispensation. Now remember, the law had been delivered from Mount Sinai. They are now no longer under the patriarchal law. They're now under the law of Moses or the old law, the old covenant. And so he had to become a part of that. And that means if he did it, no hope in this life. There's no hope in this life. There's no hope in the next life, right? If he did not accept that invitation. Now, here's some great application from that interaction. We learn some wonderful things from that that we need to apply in today's world. Outside of God's invitation to enter into a partnership with Him, there is no hope in this life. Now how can we say that? How can we say there's no hope in this life? This world continues on. Absolutely this world continues on. As long as this world uh, remains intact, God said there's going to be seasons, there's going to be months, there's going to be days. We're going to keep right on going. But what's the whole purpose of this life? The whole purpose of this life is to prepare for the next one. That's what Solomon said. The whole of man. What's the purpose of this life? Why are we here? The whole of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. And so we have to be able to accept this invitation and understand outside of God's people, we don't have hope. Recall the words of Paul with me, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 12. In writing to the church in Ephesus, he said that at that time, prior to them becoming Christians, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. How did Paul say they were brought close to Christ? This is very important, isn't it? By the blood. Well, how exactly does His blood bring us to Him? I want us to notice prior to that statement. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 verse 3. And that's very important for us to keep in mind. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to those who have already obeyed the gospel, those who are in a New Testament 
covenant relationship with God. And so that question then becomes this question. In my mind, how do I get into Christ? All the spiritual blessings are in Christ. There has to be a way to get into Him. Paul answered that question in his letter to the church in Galatia. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Now, here's what we want to keep in mind as well. Galatians 1, chapter 2 tells us this letter was written to Christians. Written to the churches of Galatia. Those who were in a New Testament covenant relationship with God. At any rate, Galatians 3, beginning verse 26, he said, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Is he talking to the alien sinner? Is he talking to the person outside of a covenant relationship? Absolutely not. Remember, the letter was written to members of the church. You members of the church, ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We get into Christ by being baptized into Christ. Knowing all of that, we understand it is through the final act of salvation that a person is placed into Christ. We know that as the body of Christ, right? Uh, Colossians 1.18, it's His body. It's His group of folks. It's those who obey Him and live the way that He wants them to live. And so... It is through that final act that we come into contact with His blood because it's His blood, right? That's what we're talking about. Well, how do we know that? Let's go over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, Paul asks a question. Now, here's why he's asking the question. See, there was a misunderstanding in Rome. They understood how grace uh, was uh, led one to be able to have his sins forgiven. If it were not for sin, there would be no need for grace, right? And so they were under the misconception that the more we sin, the more grace we get. Well, Paul addressed that. He said this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, let's stay in the sinning business so we can get more grace. God forbid, he said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So you can live in sin. You can live in sin. But they had been baptized. They had obeyed the gospel. Now you've got to get out of the sinning business, right? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. What happened at His death? That blood was shed, wasn't it? We come into contact when we're baptized into Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we are buried into Christ Jesus in baptism, when we come up, we walk in a new life because we came into contact with the blood of Jesus. Being baptized into the death of Christ allows one to have his sins removed by the blood of Christ. Now here's something else. Baptism is not more important than faith, Romans 10, 17. It is not more important than repentance, Acts 2, 38. It is not more important than confession, Romans 10, 10 and Acts 8, 37. But it is just as important as all of those other things. We recall when, when Saul of Tarsus met Christ on the road to Damascus. 
And he said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? He says, who are you? He said, I am Christ whom you persecutest. He said, what will you have me to do? He said, go into the city. You go into the city and there will be someone who will tell you what you need to do to become a Christian. And that man was Ananias. Now let's keep this in mind. This tells us a whole lot about Saul. He went into that city and he prayed for three days. He fasted for three days. He showed his repentance. He showed his belief. And he was still lost. Ananias came to him, Acts chapter 22. It's, it's recorded in three different uh, places in Acts. Acts 9, 22, and 26. And we put all those together and we get the full story. Ananias came to him and he taught him the gospel. Now remember, he had repented. He had been praying. He had been fasting. That's a sign of repentance. He had been praying to God that he might be forgiven of sin. And then Ananias come to him, comes to him and he teaches him the gospel and he says these words, Saul, Saul, verse 16, Acts 22. Why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Brethren, how do we call on the name of the Lord? Through obedience to His gospel. It's not just simply praying to Him. Saul had been doing that. But he was outside the covenant relationship of God. He was a practicing Jew... He had never obeyed the gospel to become a Christian. Christianity had been in full effect for about 30 years. But he had never obeyed the gospel. And he had prayed. He had asked God to forgive him for three days. John 9, 31 says, We know God doth not hear the prayers of sinners, those outside the covenant relationship. See, Hobab had to do something if he was going to be saved, just like we have to do today. He had to go be with Moses and the people. He had to accept the invitation that he extended. If one's going to be saved today, we have to accept the extended invitation. But once one becomes a member of God's family, then he begins to enjoy the fellowship that comes with that. Not just the fellowship with each other, but a fellowship with God. And that's the most important thing, right? I think Moses was saying a couple things to Hobab when he made this statement he said we will do thee good he was saying we need you and you need us Hobab he lived in the desert he knew where all the good camping spots were he knew where all the good watering holes were he knew where all the good paths were and you see Hobab needed them because he needed to be saved and he wasn't going to do it outside of God's people so they needed each other Hobab was invited by Moses to join in Israel's pilgrimage. He was invited to be a part in the partnership they enjoyed with God. And finally, he was invited to enjoy the promises that God had made. That's our third and our last point. Quickly, we understand that Israel was promised a new home. You leave Egypt. You go out into this wilderness. I will lead you to a new home. It's called the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And just as the wilderness was not the final destination for those folks, this world's not the final destination for us. There's something much better, something much greater beyond this physical world. And remember, Jesus went. He's gone somewhere to prepare that place. It was already there. He's making it suitable for when the saved come. Peter told his readers, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. See, we're just here for a short time. Wouldn't it be sad if this life is all we had? 
Wouldn't it be terrible if this life was all we had? We lose the folks we love. We hurt the folks we love. Bad things happen in this world. If this was it, I don't know if, if that's enough to keep anyone going. But we know that's not it. This is temporary. You see, the sad truth is that heaven isn't the only eternal abode. Hell is also never ending. It's a place of total torment. It's a place of complete suffering. Jesus described it this way. To the lost, he will say this, Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. A home beyond description, though, awaits the faithful. With the promise of a new home comes the promise of a hope. The hope of eternal life. Not just some shot in the dark. Not just some, I hope that that happens. No, it's something based on evidence. We believe God's promises because He keeps His promises. The phrase in verse 29 of our passage, will give it you, is filled with hope. And we need hope in this life. That is the hope of the believer. When Hobab heard the invitation, do you know what his first response was? Not interested, I'm not going to go. Verse 30, but we know that he must have thought about it because he ended up going. He ended up accepting the invitation. He ended up being a part of God's people, Judges 1.16 and Judges 4, verse 11. He became a part. He accepted that invitation. You know, he had to leave everything he knew. Sometimes we have to leave behind years of a, of a certain belief that we've had. But in accepting that invitation, he was blessed just as Moses promised him he would be right along with Israel. God's offered his invitation to all people. Now remember, Paul said we're called through the gospel, not a faint whisper in the night. We're called through the gospel. That's in black and white, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. We talked about how to accept that invitation, how to call on the name of the Lord through obedience, faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water so our sins can be forgiven, that's what puts us into the body of Christ. That's what adds us to the church, Acts 2.47. But here's something else we need to keep in mind. The faithful, they can cause some problems for themselves. They can cause some problems for themselves. We see it in the, the life of the Israelites and we see it in today's world. There's a whole lot of misrepresentation of the Bible out there that says a person, once they're saved, they can never lose that salvation. Notice what John had to say about that, 1 John 1, 17, or excuse me, verse 7. But if we walk in the light now, we want to read that before, prior to that. He talks about people sinning. Now, who's he, who's he writing this letter to? Faithful Christians, okay? He says that we all sin. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth's not in you, Right? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, there it is again, cleanses us from all sin. See, we have to have an initial contact with that blood, and then we have to walk in the light to remain in contact with that blood. And then when we sin, that blood, that, that blood washes our sins away because James said if we uh, confess our sins one to another... God will forgive us of our sins. So what does the Christian do? The Christian can fall from grace, Galatians 5 verse 4. That's what Paul said. 
He said, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Who did he write that letter to? Let's go back to Galatians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. To the churches in Galatia, people who had obeyed the gospel. He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to people who are Christians. He said, you can fall from grace. So what the Christian does, he recognizes sin in his or her life. He repents of that sin. He confesses that sin. Sometimes you have to confess a sin publicly if you can't go to a person privately. And then you ask God to forgive you. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, whether it's through initial obedience or whether you need to come back, do that as we stand and as we sing.